Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Welcome back. Today's guest is Alice Brown. Alice has spent the last 19 years in the corporate world of hospitality management. She's currently the executive director for the North Central Washington Economic Development District. A graduate of the University of Tennessee, she has lived and worked all over the world and brings a fresh, out-of-the-box perspective on economic development. When not working, she can be found enjoying the Pacific Northwest with her fur child, Sierra. Alice, welcome to the show. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Well, you're welcome. First, I guess we have to ask, uh, tell us about your fur child. Well, Miss Sierra, she actually grew up pretty much in hotels and convention centers as I traveled around the country. Uh, I had her since a baby. Uh, she's a great Pyrenees border collie mix. So she's 100 pounds of fluff. And um, one of my most recent um, adventures was in New Mexico, where the staff actually knew who I was um, based off of my fur child. And so I kind of gotten this reputation in the industry of, well, you know who she is because she will have the big fluffy dog with her. So Sierra is very much my fur child um, and is very familiar with being friendly and welcoming and greedy to folks. <laughs> Well, that's good. Uh, everybody needs a, a sort of a mascot, something yes. that identifies them when they travel around. So that's wonderful. Well, good. So you're the director of the North Central Washington Economic Development District. So let's talk about that. What is, first off, what is an economic development district? So an economic development district is federally funded by the EDA. We are essentially the eyes and ears um, to the EDA within a region. So for instance, our region takes in Chelan, Douglas, Okanagan, Ferry County, as well as the Colville Confederated Tribes. So essentially 15,000 square feet miles of um, regional rural communities that we help develop um, under federal funding. And of course, federal funding can be extremely intimidating, especially for smaller and rural communities. So that's why we're kind of here um, strategically placed. There are six EDDs within the Seattle EDA office, and we're more or less here to help uh, bring in jobs and create livable wage jobs in communities. It, there's so much to it. I could take it in so many different directions, but um, we are more or less the, the eyes and ears for the EDA looking for opportunities to help fund good projects. So do EDA grants flow through you? Is that, is that how that works? So we are a, a mechanism in it, um, typically. So a lot of EDDs um, are what's considered an ADO for a region. However, we are a very unique EDD where we're actually a nonprofit organization. So we're not the regional ADO. Um, typically, large project infrastructure would go through your ADO. But in our case, um, 
the EDA does reach out to us and says, are you familiar with this project? Do you support this project? I will tell you, um, because of COVID, the roles of EDDs have really changed, especially for us, where in the past, our ADOs, in our case, we have a Chelan-Douglas Regional Port Authority, and we have an Okanagan County Economic Alliance, who are our two. Because of COVID and all the federal dollars that are coming down, we have taken on a more significant role as far as our support. So now we have to be really critical and selective, where in the past, it was kind of like, oh, you have a project, this makes sense. Yeah, this could potentially be funded through the EDA, we'll support it. It's not so much the case anymore. Now it's we're taking a really hard look at everyone that's wanting our support and saying, does this align with our comprehensive economic development strategy? Is this what's best for our region? Are these folks active within the EDD? So we just really realized that we have we have a significant part in this as we bounce back from COVID and what resiliency looks like for our region. So um, yeah, we've we've definitely taken on more of a lead role than we ever had in the past. So in the past, if I understand this correctly, if somebody came to you with a project, a, a community, mm-hmm. and uh, they said, "Is there a, is there we found this EDA grant?" Uh, you would help them, you know, you would support them in getting it, regardless of whether or not it perfectly fit in with your comprehensive economic development plan? Yes and no. Um, We do a priority prioritization process where we identify 10 projects that we say that we're going to help and support with support letters and grant writing. Um, Quite honestly, just being very transparent and honest, um, this EDD has really struggled over the last few years trying to figure out where our niche is. And a lot of a lot of the communities in my region are very rural. So they don't have full-time mayors. They don't have planners. They don't have grant writers. So they weren't looking for federal funding. And so it was really your poor and the economic alliance and the communities that were lucky enough to be able to hire a planner that were looking for these grants. Um, so they were the only ones that were submitting. So again, COVID's really taken a shift um, as far as who we are as an organization. And it's allowed us the ability to say, if we don't help these rural communities get this funding, somebody's going to make the decisions for them of what their future and their community looks like. Um, so we're just in a really unique position right now. And it's exciting to be the person that gets to lead that vision. If there was an economic developer or even a mayor or something in one of your small towns, what would be the best thing that they could do to help make your job easier? be involved. And quite honestly, that's what it comes down to is when you have such a large region um, and you have so many other organizations and nonprofits out there who want to be the storytellers, it's really hard for us to connect and touch with the communities, um, especially the mayors, because a lot of these towns have part-time mayors. And when I say part-time mayors, you're lucky if they're working twice a month. Um, So just being involved and having those conversations, I think it's one thing I feel like I've brought to the table that maybe was lacking in the past is I'm relatable. So often you get in a room with economic development professionals who've been doing this for a long time. They forget to talk at a level that a part-time mayor would understand. And I feel like that's what I've done really well is just to make that connection and and talk at a level that they understand. Um, So their involvement is critical. For instance, I had a community that we were looking to invest a lot of time and money into and come to find out they have water issues. And it's, well, I can't, we can't help you develop if you have water issues. We, we can't help you bring in new residents or, you know, 
build whatever the case was in the situation until we get your water issues resolved. So, you know, these communities, they, they're intimidated by the big infrastructure projects, but until they have certain things like housing and water and the capacities to do things, we can't bring in businesses, we can't bring in jobs. Um, so it's, it's a learning curve for them, um, but it's a great opportunity for us to roll up our sleeves and really help communities. And of course the federal government's really kind of shifting their approach and recognizing that rural communities, if we don't help them now, they are gonna be forgotten. I think that's a big lesson that's come out of COVID, mm-hmm. that all these rural communities have been struggling and they've been struggling for a couple of decades, at least a couple of decades with manufacturing moving to China, with you know all of that happening. What do you see coming out of COVID? Like how, how has the economic development landscape changed? Well, from a tourism perspective, I love the fact that it's the first time in history that the federal government is offering grants for tourism and shovel-ready projects. So from that aspect, it's always exciting. But for me, again, I think it's it's causing the shift of, you know, the old versus the new. It's kind of one of those things you see so often in economic development. But it's, it's interesting how many folks have been in their roles as EDs um, and we get stagnant, you know, we, we do the same things over and over again. So I think we're definitely seeing this shift and a new approach of thinking when it comes to economic development. And that wouldn't have happened without the pandemic. Um, and again, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more initiatives around these rural communities, which is exciting for me because I am a region of rural and small communities. So I think those are the big takeaways. Of course, we can talk about childcare and housing and remote working, which are all a part of it. But I feel like those those pieces have a lot of folks working on them. Um, again, it comes back to does a manufacturing, you know, for the longest time, the EDA has said manufacturing is a huge thing that we're going to support. But the reality is when you're looking at a small community, they don't have the housing, they don't have the workforce, they don't have the infrastructure. And it's always scary. You know, I at one time was with the state of Georgia and I always use Dalton, Georgia as a great example of you can be a community that brings in so much manufacturing, but when the carpet industry died, so did that whole entire community. So do you really want to invest everything that you have into a niche or do we want to, you know, expand the small makers? Do we want to bring in some manufacturing? So it's a really interesting time to have these conversations. So you've had a pretty wide and varied experience. You know, Mm -hmm. you just mentioned that you were in Georgia. Uh, you were in hospitality management. So how did you become an economic developer? It's a great question. Um, I moved out to Washington. Um, I actually met someone when I was out in New Mexico, and he's from here originally. And so I moved out here to to Washington State with him. And honestly, I think I was a little cocky where I thought, oh, I've been doing this for so many years, I won't have a hard time finding a job. It's Washington State. It's Seattle. Little did I know that I was going to be living on the other side of the mountain, uh, not on the side of Seattle, where, you know, there's a lot of, most of your hotels are family owned. Most of your businesses are small. A majority of the businesses in our region are under 20 employees. So when we look at small businesses, a 500 or less, 500 is like a unicorn project for this region. I came over here a little cocky thinking I'm not going to have a hard time finding a job. And that's not the case. I actually had a really hard time finding a job because again, it's, it's local. It was about who you knew. And um, I met the previous director at a tourism summit, just trying to get involved and get my name out there. And she was looking for a marketing and events uh, manager. And so I came on with her 
And as she had actually accepted a position with Washington State Department of Commerce, and so it left her job open. And I was really hesitant to be quite honest with you. I was like, I'm not sure if I'm the right person to be a director of economic development. You know, I'm still learning this myself. And um, it was the board that really encouraged it. And they're like, you can do this. You'll be great at it. And, you know, I came back to the board and I said, how do you lead an organization when you don't understand what it does? And that's kind of, I think that open-ended question made me rise, but I'm the person that can create what it does and what that vision is. So I love, I love a challenge. So here I am. Wow. How long ago was that? Um, So February will make two years as director, um, three Mm -hmm. years with the organization. And what's really interesting is I became the director two weeks before the pandemic shut everything down. So it's been a learning curve. I'd imagine, but uh, you're going to have a whole, you know, sort of different perspective on things because you basically became an economic developer during and after the start of the pandemic. So your worldview, your economic development worldview is very different than somebody that has had 30 or 50 years of experience in economic development before COVID. So coming out of it, you might be one of the new leaders of economic development or on the cutting edge of economic development. I like to think so. (laughs) Good. Excellent. So uh, what did you bring over because it sounds like you know you were in the hospitality industry you were in the tourism industry um you probably think about things through that lens a lot what perspective does that give you that's unique in economic development you know a lot of folks think that the tourism hospitality world is this glam world and what a great job you had and you got to travel and see all these things and they don't realize it's a 24-hour job seven days a week there are no holidays um in that world So coming over, there was definitely a learning curve for me. Not everything is a sense of urgency. It's okay if this doesn't happen right away. It's not like the hotel no longer runs. Um, So there's definitely a learning curve for me. But at the same time, the one thing I feel I do really well that I've noticed, especially my board's like, wow, maybe you're taking on too much is I've always had multiple projects going on. So it's been very easy for me to step in and take on several projects within my region. And I think the other thing that I've done well is, you know, I've, I've encouraged my board to stop thinking just infrastructure or manufacturing. You know, tourism is a huge um, economic driver, especially for this region of Washington state, because we're sunny 360 days out of a year. We have snow where if you're on the west side, you're probably going to get rained on more than once while you visit. So we're definitely a recreation destination and we need to embrace that. Um, The other thing that I think that I bring to the table is I am an outsider. So um, for me, it's not about, you know, well, so-and-so used to own this piece of property and it's so-and-so's family. It's like, but there's an opportunity here. So, um, you know, it's very easy to to fall into that tourism piece. But what a lot of folks don't realize is I often joke about you can go to a local hotel and they could probably tell you more of what's going on in the community and who's actually here working, why they're working than anybody else, including the mayors, um, just because you're so connected with so many things that go on. When I was just outside of Yosemite National Park in California, I ran the Chamber of Commerce and the, and the Visitor Center. I didn't run tourism. I was on their board. But um, I didn't run the actual like tourist attraction part, but I dealt with the visitors that were there. And it was a huge challenge trying to convince this um, small community right outside of Yosemite National Park that their chief asset were those visitors. There's those, you know, 500,000 cars that drove down Main Street and, 
you know, they really needed to optimize the method by which they would extract the cash out of those cars. You know, I, I would skid up and say, there's 494,000 cars full of cash driving right by. That's our resource. We need to extract that. And, you know, that was a huge challenge. I would imagine that you doing economic development and doing tourism in a small community, it's hard because there is this sense that we have this place. We want to have been the last people to have moved here. We want to be the it, the door closed after we got here and everything's going to stay the same. So how do you function in that kind of environment? Because I'd imagine you have similar challenges. Yeah, it's quite interesting that you say that. Um, so very early on in the pandemic, um, we started a recovery process and we identified 22 of our small and rural communities that we were going to work with. Um, one of the challenges that we have, especially in the northern part in Okanagan County, is um, we are right along the border. So when the Canadian border closed, that, that was detrimental to a lot of these communities that relied on that tourism. And we brought in a company called Retail Strategies and Downtown Strategies, and we've been working with them. And one of the things we did is we put communities through this program that were interested in it through Retail Strategies and collected data. And one of the things that was really telling was the traffic that was going through all these small communities, ironically, to get to East Wenatchee to go to a Costco. And so one of the communities had a gap of over $7 million that they were losing out on because the traffic was just passing through to go to East Wenatchee. Um, so yeah, to to kind of put that into perspective, it's exactly what's happening and we're, we're pushing hard. You know, I like to say it's about the people, the places and the projects. We have to build these communities. We have to establish hometown pride. We have to make sure that the places that these folks are living are communities. You know, they can eat, they can play, they can shop and do everything there. And it's a challenge when for instance, retail strategies, their data triggered dollar generals, and there were no dollar generals out here in the Pacific Northwest. So folks automatically thought they were dollar trees. And so it's getting back to me that all these communities are like, we don't want a dollar tree. We don't want this store. And it's like, hold on, guys. Do you know what a dollar general is? Well, it's a dollar tree. No, it's not. Well, it's going to run out our local grocery store. No, it's not. I have one community like, well, it's going to take away from our thrift store. No, it's not. And, you know, then it was like, well, everyone goes into Wenatchee anyways. And it's it's that mindset that's killing these small communities where it's like, no, if you have the availability, you know, I like to say Dollar General is kind of like that. You're in between paychecks and your kid needs something for school. You know, whatever the case is, you can run down to your local Dollar General and get that. But the same stands true with tourism. It's like, these communities have to realize they can't stay in a bubble, that they have assets other than recreation, and they need to embrace that. Because the biggest challenge I've had is everyone's like, well, we've got hiking trails. Well, we're right on the water. Well, so is every other community that's around you. What makes you different? Um, so that's the conversation. Until we build out these communities where there's somewhere that people want to live, that they're, you know, it's hometown pride. Um, and until that happens, it doesn't matter how much money or work that I put into it. It, it doesn't matter. Um, tourists aren't going to stop if there's not signage. Tourists are not going to stop if they don't feel welcomed. Um, so it's it's very much a learning it's a learning curve. Um, one of the things that we're being really proactive about moving into 2022, we rolled out a program called Back in Small NCW, and the whole purpose behind it is developing projects that are very much focused on these rural and small communities and. It was interesting because in this recovery process, 
we'd asked six, we, we sent out the survey to the 22 communities that we um, identified, and we only sent it out to elected officials or folks that were in leadership role. We received a total of 62 um, surveys back. And what was really interesting is one of the questions we asked is, how would you rate your downtown? And out of the 62, it was between one and five, five being the greatest, we got an average of 3.2 as the rating of their downtowns, which was really telling that they don't have downtowns. Then we also asked, do you think that your community supports the local artists and makers and entrepreneurs? That same question got an average of 4.8. So it was really telling to us that these little small maker markets and these um, little pop-up bazaars are being really successful and folks really want to celebrate and support these small businesses but they don't have the infrastructure for it. And one of the other questions we asked was, you know, are you interested in grants? Can you administer a grant? Out of those 62, every single person said, yes, we need help in administering grants and order us to move forward with that. So kind of going back to tourism, it's again, until we get the people in the places where they can be, we can't, we can't ask them to go after tourism because everyone's initial response is, well, we have recreation. And it's like the whole state has recreation. You know, what makes you unique and different? And part of that are the downtowns. Um, I think we're all guilty of it. We might be heading somewhere. We see a really cute downtown. Chances are we're stopping to get gas. We're going to eat there. We might even walk around. So that's going to be one of the things that we really push um, into 2022. Oh, that's good. That's excellent. This whole idea is transferable. It works with all kinds of other um, niches other than tourism, because mm -hmm. so often we as economic developers have to tell a community that you have these assets and you think that these assets make you into something else. Like you said, they have recreation. They think they're a tourist destination. Have you had any luck? Do you have any secrets for how you communicate that to the local officials, that just because you have hiking trails or just because you have vacant land doesn't mean that you are a tourist destination or a you could be a manufacturing hub or, or whatever. But just because you have these assets and this sort of general idea that it would work, um, you aren't this thing that you think you are. You have to do something to get to that point. Any Any tips on convincing them of that? I think, you know, I joke and I'm like, I'm from the South. So it's all about building relationships and, and, you sure. know, sitting down and having a coffee with your neighbor kind of mentality. So I think that's worked really well for me, especially um, dealing with our county commissioners. Um, you know, I, I go into a room and I'm not there to educate them or just regurgitate stuff. I go in there and I'm like, so here's what's going on. And I open it up and we just, we just sit down and we chat about it. And again, I think it's, it's a matter of going in there being humble and realizing like there's a lot of opportunities for all of us and you guys are one unique piece in this entire puzzle and while so many people with especially with COVID have thought short-term resiliency I feel like our EDD has really done well saying we still have a responsibility because we're economic development we have to look at the long-term successes there's a lot of folks doing the short term what is the vision for the future and I feel like by taking that approach it has been well received at the county level and the city and the community levels because we're saying, but what does this look like five years from now? You know, we, there's enough of the short term going on. This federal money is going to be around for the next three to five years. How do we make sure everyone gets it and it complements this entire region? Because, you know, I love to use the story of Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, and Sevierville. You have the Smoky Mountains, everyone sees. 
it's like the family Las Vegas um, with Pigeon Forge. But what most folks don't realize is those three communities don't necessarily get along. They don't necessarily like each other, but they've accepted the fact that they have to work together because they're all so close in proximity that if they don't work together, they're all losing out. So it's a great example, you know, that we can look at as a region of it, it's okay not necessarily to like the fact that across the bridge is considered Chelan County and that's Wenatchee and you're East Wenatchee. That's, it is what it is, but you guys are going to have to come together and start talking. And I think that's one of the things that I do admire about the federal government. You know, their approach they're taking is very much in order to get this funding, you guys can't continue sitting in your silos as economic development directors. You're going to have to start showing the partnerships. And that's one of the biggest frustrations that a lot of these communities and elected officials and even nonprofits have is we're all fighting for the same dollar. So how do we become friends when the very next day you and I are competing against one another for, for the same dollars because our project's better than your project. So I love the fact that now we can go into the room and have these conversations and it's no longer about us telling them or educating them. It's us saying, look, the federal government says, if you want this money, you're going to start bringing in the partnerships and it's not going to just be the county and the city. It's going to be, do you have nonprofits that are looking at equity and inclusion? Do you have the public partners? Do you have small businesses supporting it? So um, I think that's just really opened up that conversation and allowed us to sit down and just talk and say, what makes the most sense? Well, your neighbor over here already has three boat ramps, but they don't have a hotel. So why aren't you guys connecting? Instead of you trying to build the boat ramps, connect with theirs, give them your hotel, work out a deal. So it's it's forcing those conversations to happen. And again, I kind of feel lucky because I came in at a time where I can go in there and say that. That's so true. I've had foreign companies come in and we're giving them a tour of some sites and they've done their own sort of due diligence in advance. And they've identified some other sites and they say, can you take us to this site? And we say, well, that's across the county line. That's in another city. Nobody cares about their jurisdictions except for local officials and local people. Like everybody else, you just go where it's best suited for your needs. Where it co like the costs are right and the, the environment is right. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. We have to work together with our neighboring communities. And that Pigeon Forge Gatlinburg example is perfect. They don't get along. They compete against each other, but they they have the same, they have complementary assets. You stay in Gatlinburg and you go to Dollywood or you, or vice versa. And, you know, it, that we need to get that through. And so that is good that you're with the federal government because you're sort of above that fray and you can assist that. One final good question is there's a lot of federal money. There is more federal money available for small communities or communities of all sizes, but definitely small communities than has been available in, in any recent history. What kind of impact do you think this is going to have? Do you think it's going to make a difference? Do you think we're going to figure it out? Is it going to help or is it uh, too little too late? Is it not directed to the right place? Like, What do you think about that? You know, I would love to say it's not directed in the right place, um, but at the same time, I'm going to say yes and no to that question. I think the intentions are great. I think, yes, the purpose of helping these small communities needs to happen. And what a better time than as we're rethinking, honestly, the entire country and what we look like. Um, I say no, because one of the big struggles, again, comes back to how do we get the grants into their hands? And it's almost, I want to throw it back and challenge other economic development professionals of, 
we have to not be afraid to roll up our sleeves and get into these communities because they don't know how to write the grants. They don't even know what a shovel ready project is. You know, for my region, a lot of my communities, they don't have a comprehensive plan. They don't have a strategy. They don't have any vision for their downtown. So we're talking really grassroots initiatives. And if we don't start doing this grassroots work now and laying that foundation, they're going to miss out on these opportunities. And then, you know, at the same time, I say no, because then you have State Department of Commerce's who are going after this federal money, and they're looking at it from a state view. And, you know, like, for instance, in the state of Washington, we have sectors or clusters that they're working off of. And I had two phone calls yesterday, um, where folks were like, well, you know, it's about the sectors, and it's natural resources, and it's clean energy. And it's like, but we're a region of very small communities, where that's, they're nowhere near the point of going and looking to bring in an aerospace company. You know, we're, we're just trying to figure out how to keep people working at this point in time. So yes, I think it's a great use of funding, but if we as professionals in this industry don't get into these communities now and start identifying and helping them vision, um, they're going to miss out on it. And then again, the money's going to go to the States, which is great but we don't have the advocacy that these other communities have. We, you know, for us, we're two and a half hours from Seattle. We're two mountain passes. So now we're in winter where we're not even getting over that mountain pass if it snows. So it's like, how do we advocate? How do we make sure that the dollars are being used correctly? And so, yeah, I feel like I, I kind of want to throw that back as a challenge to, to everyone in our industry of, yes, I do believe that the money going into small communities is where it needs to go. But most of these rural and small communities, and I believe that's probably all over the country, they're nowhere near. They don't have planners. They don't have grant writers. We actually have brought in a grant writer for the specific pur purpose of working with these communities to help make sure that they get grants. That's how important and how much we believe in it. Alice, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I have learned so much. Thank you. <laughs> if, if any of our listeners would like to reach out to you and pick your brain, what is the best way for them to contact you? It's definitely through email and they can reach me at director at ncweedd.com. So that's North Central Washington Economic Development District.com. Well, I'm sure that we have a lot of uh, listeners that are in, you know, sort of similar circumstances or they're, they could use someone like you to talk to. And I hope that uh, you're able to connect with them and, and assist them because this is a team sport and we're all in this together and we need to support each other. And it sounds like that's what you do on a day-to-day -day basis for your region. And it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Thank well, you so much for being I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Yeah, You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com.